This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thousands of people, that is great. We celebrate what God is doing. And in middle April, um, Angus Bucken is coming here to church. He's also a father of this church. And so we all submit to him. And um, it's great to have big events. It's great for people to encounter God. But every day we need to have a lifestyle of following Christ. And every day as we become disciples, your highest form of worship is not the songs you sing, but your obedience. It's a lifestyle to say, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. I want to glorify you. And so in John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13, it says, But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The moment when you say yes to Jesus, you are born of God, you're born again, and you begin to walk in this road of sonship, of daughtership, daughterhood, yeah? being a child of God. What an amazing concept that God would adopt you and me into his family, and that means it gives you a new identity, gives you a new destiny. And we saw some of these scriptures last week as we uh, were embarking on this whole idea of identity and destiny. Because a lot of people ask, why am I here? Where am I going? What is my purpose? Is there significance to my life? These are questions that I think if most of the world would know what those answers is, it will be so much easier and there won't be so, so many wars and things happening around us because, hey, people would know this is why God has created me. And ultimately, to have relationship with God is the most amazing thing. So identity is not formed by what we do, but who God has called us to be. So we we are Christians first before we go and do Christian things. In Matthew 3, 17, we saw last week, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying to Jesus, the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father said to Jesus, I love you and I'm proud of you because Jesus was born illegitimate. He was born outside of wedlock. He was like there was a... A whole label on him. And maybe tonight you are carrying a label. Maybe somebody said to you, you will never amount to anything. You will never be somebody. You can never make it. You can never be spiritual enough. That's the father of lies. And he always talks about accusation. And he always like points the finger. He wants to take you down. And he wants to draw you away from the purpose of God for your life. But the moment when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to a new identity. <laughs> And you need to learn what that identity is. You say yes to a destiny like the Father said, because he only spoke three times audibly in Scripture in the New Testament. And the second time he spoke to the people around Jesus and say, hey, this is my son, hear him. He's got a destiny. He's got a, he's got a message. He's got something to share. Moses, Elijah, it was on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were standing there with Moses. And Elijah represented the prophets and the law of the Old Testament and said, everything in the old points to the new, points to Christ. So if you want to know more about the cross, don't just read the Gospels, read the Old Testament. <laughs> because everything points to Jesus. The whole idea of the, the Jews coming out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land, going through the Red Sea, talks about our coming out of the world, going through baptism, Going into the promises of God is the whole way God dealt with the Israelites is a symbol or a shadow or a type of our salvation in the New Testament. And that's so exciting that God would send his son to die for us. Can I get an amen? I'm just busy with the introduction. It's not hot. It's, it's really cool in here. Okay, so Galatians 4 verse 6 and 7 says, 
And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father! This exclamation, okay? If you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Wow. So what are these elements? If we want to be a son or a daughter of God, what, what are some of these principles? The first one is self-denial and service or sacrifice. Jesus said it in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The modern day gospel, and unfortunately a lot of churches like ours, would do encouragement all the time. And that's great, make you feel good, tell you how good you are. But you can never discover God unless you first die. That's the gospel. The modern day gospel says, just become a better you. Just, 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 Jesus loves you so much that there's so much grace for you just to keep on living. But if the Wednesday and the Thursday and the Friday Christian is not the same than the Sunday Christian, then you're a hypocrite. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about surrender. And so it is so important that we live what we say. You can't go up there and live another lifestyle and then on Sunday also jump up and down and say like, sure. Because God looks straight into your heart and he says, you need to live a transformed life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. And follow me, me means that God is walking. God is moving. He's not looking for perfect people. I mean, any perfect people here? Great. You're in a great church. Okay? Very imperfect people with a perfect God. And this, uh, when Stephen Lungu's testimony, you know, he shares so many funny testimonies because we've been, we've been building a relationship with him for 15 years. And um, he has these funny moments because he doesn't fear people. And so he says he was preaching in the, in the Pentagon and this man came walking up to him and the man said to him, can I have your notes, Mr. Lungu? And he said, um, oh, sir, can I have your business card? And, um, and he said, the, the guy answered him back, he says, uh, Mr. Lungu, the President of the United States doesn't have a business card. He says, oh, I recognize that hat. You must be George W. Bush. <laughs> you can have my notes, but I still want your business card. You know? Then he went to the White House and he preached to Obama and he spoke to him for an hour and a half on repentance. If you want to know God. Turn from your ways. Beautiful. But see, we fear what people think and what people say, but rather fear God. It's so amazing. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. So so self-denial and service. And this is not the modern-day gospel because we want to just feel good. I want to go to church and people must just tell me, just go on with your life. And just Jesus just... If people walk this way, Jesus started walking that way. Jesus was quite a radical. Did you know that? (laughs) Jesus wasn't so interested in people's happiness. He was interested in holiness. God is more interested in your holiness. Because why? He's not a spoil sport. You know, the, the definition of sin is to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark, to miss the purpose of God for your life. And so... All sin does isn't like, oh, you know, it's just simply God has got so much more, but there's only one way. It's the way of self-denial. No, 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 I don't like this gospel. Well, Jesus said it, you can't be my disciple. 
And yes, it's great. It's great on an evening like this to have a thousand people here. It, we sing these songs. But you can sing with your mouth and your heart is far from God. And then tonight is your moment where you need to say, God, I want my heart and my mind and my, all of myself to align. Because it's the greatest, amazing moment. You know, I used to stutter at school, so I couldn't speak. And then the Lord made a big joke with me. He said, one day you're going to preach in front of people. I started to laugh, probably for two weeks. Then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. A day after that, I stopped stuttering. That was 30 years ago. Jesus just healed me. So if I don't have an excuse, you don't have an excuse. <laughs> if God can use somebody like me, he can use somebody like you. Because when you stutter, the problem is you think of what you're going to say. And by the time you want to say it or when you say it, people have already gone on to the conversation. So you rather keep quiet. I used to just run away when people came to visit on the farm. And then Jesus said, hey, you're going to go into places and talk to people about me. I've been in North Korea, Iran, in the Middle East where God is doing the most amazing things. More than 60 countries telling people about the one who healed me. The one who saved my soul. What's your excuse, sir? Whew. So in 1 John 3 verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that, he, that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you encounter the love of God, the fruit of the love of God is always purity and holiness. He says the world out there is competing with God's love because lots of people go, are going to say to you, that guy's going to walk up to you and say, if you sleep with me, I really love you. If you do this, that's going to be real love. If you just do it cheap, this, that pornography on the internet, but you're going to be trapped. And all it is is just there to keep you away from unconditional love. God loves you unconditionally. And he invites you to that. But once you say, and holiness isn't like, ooh, you know, tiptoe. When they come to the church, we're not to say anything. And then we take holy water and we sprinkle it on the people and we just like, shh. God is here. You know, and then we're like dignified. I love what Reinhard Bonke says. He says, dignity is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. David, you know, when the presence of God comes back, go and read that in the Old Testament, when that Ark of the Covenant come, comes back, David just jumps up and down and he just says, whoa, God is in this place. His wife says, shh, shh, you know. And she's struck with leprosy. Because he didn't have like the right clothing on. He's like the king. He should be reserved. Hey. Some of us must go to Ghana and Uganda and see how the church worships there. Whoa. There's just lots of noise. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Yay! Out there! Jesus is king! Yeah? But then we become more reserved because we become religious. But hey, watch it. How many of you have been at the tennis at Georgia, Federer, and Nadal? Jonathan, Dylan, were you there? Yo. But it's amazing. You know, some people come and 
They, now now they have all these Instagram posts of the photos, but they're like three kilometers away from the tennis court. They can't even see the tennis court down there. I thought like, yeah, but I just want to say I've been part of the 50,000, you know. I was also there, you know, and I got a photo with a picture of Federer, you know, while he was three kilometers away, bouncing the ball there in the middle somewhere. I thought like, did you take your binoculars? How did you see the people? But we just want to be part, you know. We just, we just want to be there, you know. Did you watch it? Yes, on TV. <laughs> but they've played like 300 games. But there's something inside of us. We, we want to be part, you know. We don't want to miss out. But the challenge is, when that determines your identity, you're in trouble. Because then for the rest of your life, you're going to run around what the people say about you and not think about what God says. And so that's what he says, what manner of love the Father has thrown on us, bestowed us. He's given us that love that will secure you, that will identify you, that will bring you steadfast before him. But then, as we're talking about this issue of being rooted, you and I know that, and need to know that there's going to be a massive challenge, and that challenge is going to mean I'm going to commit myself to a family and a group of people that are imperfect, but I'm going to need to learn how to love. Most of you, whether you like it you probably, or not, you have probably, your nose looks like your mother's. There's some or other thing about your parents that you just don't like. It freaks you out. But sorry, you're going to just look just like that. You're going to have the mannerisms just like that. You're going to just become just like that. Why? Because you've spent so much time with them. And they've rubbed off on you. So you can run, but you cannot hide, you know. And so what begins to happen a lot of, you know, a child's identity is mostly formed before the age of seven and the father would determine most of that identity. And a lot of us grow up in hurt and broken homes because there was no father. Maybe the father, your father was there, but he was absent. Now we come to church and then we come to varsity and we have this freedom, but we have, everybody's just crying out, who am I? Who am I? Show me who I am. But you have a perfect father. I want to say to you, you have a perfect father. You have a perfect father that would never shame you, never reject you, never tell you you're a failure. But that means you need to embrace a road of discipleship. You need to, to walk in a road where you're going to need to become vulnerable because sometimes we all bring baggage. We bring baggage into our relationship with God. But God is not thrown about that, you know. God is not like, oh, you know, Marlon has sinned over the weekend and Marlon is in church. Angels just cover, cover, cover my face. There is sin in the camp. Oh, oh, you know. And then God puts on that alarm bell in heaven. Cover, angels cover, there's sin in the house, you know. And you think like, no, God is not thrown by sin. But when you and I come to him, he says, come real, be real with me. Be vulnerable, don't pretend. And that we struggle with that. We struggle because we even come to church and then we think there they should be this perfect church. But I want to tell you, when you go to the perfect church, the perfect church has become imperfect. Why? Because you just joined. 
There's no perfect church, but there's a perfect God. And that's why it's so important that, if, especially if you're first here, you need to be planted and you need to ask God, God, where do I need to be pardoned? Where am I going to rigorously connect to relationships so that I can grow? And sometimes I'm going to want to run away. How many of you have ever thought that you want to kill one of your family members? Oh my God, there's murderers in the house, Regan. Shut the doors, okay? Confession time. Let's make a confession line. Pastor Gerard, huh? Woo! They asked Billy Graham, they said to him, or they asked his wife, have you ever thought of divorcing your husband? And she looked and she says, divorce? Never. Murder? Many times. <laughs> Why? Because you have this ability, this moment where God invites you and says, look, yeah, I'm perfect, but you're not. And you can't have a relationship with the head, but not with the body of Christ. Because you have different giftings and God invites you to say, hey, be part of that. But you're going to need to learn to love. Herbie said it so beautifully, bear one another's burdens. But see, the modern day church just says, come in, go out, don't connect, don't be accountable. Don't grow. And God is more interested in your growth than in your experience. God is more interested in your character than just having a nice time. You can have lots of nice times. Worship is great. But the moment that changed my life about worship, I realized worship has got nothing to do with the songs that we sing. And I've told this story before, but I walked up in China, in Beijing. We went to this church, this big church, and please pray for the church in China. It's an underground church. Millions of people are coming to salvation, but because of this virus, there's a lot of persecution, and many pastors have received life sentences in the last couple of weeks. One of our friends as well, 20 years in prison for his faith. But we walked up and there was a hall half this size up on the third floor and there were so many people. And I, as I walked up, they said, we're going to go to a worship service tonight. And I thought like, oh, like a worship, you know, he's like miracle worker. Da-na, na-na, da-na, and we're going to sing and we're like, yeah, you know, and I realized like, wow, there's, I can't hear the sound. There's no sound coming. I thought like, wow, this church is cooking. They have the best sound, insulation, preservation, whatever you call it, the best day. They just, everything is built and you cannot hear anything. Because a couple of hundred people worshiping and you can't hear it outside of the hall. It took us three hours to get there because we had to look where there weren't any secret police following us. Eventually when we got, we walked into the hall I think about 600 people were lying on their faces for three hours, worshiping God without saying a word. Because worship isn't a song. Worship is you surrendering to a God. But how cheap have we made worship? Just put it in the CD. Yeah, that's nice. No, I don't like that song. And you know, I like this worship leader more than that one. I like the vibe, you know. No, I'm a rapper. I'm a rapper. Yeah? Worship is all about your heart, sir, that you give to a God that loves you. It's a response of what he's done, not a response of how good you feel. And so that means that you and I, like Psalm 92 says, we need to be planted and we need to be rooted in Christ because there's a lot of things happening out there and there's a lot of YouTube clips, there's a lot of deception. But in a relationship, you're going to be safe. 
But I've also got news for you. In relationship, it's going to become messy. How many of you want to get married? Single people. Raise your hand. Sure, some people raise their hand very quickly. <laughs> me, me, pick me, pastor. Okay. Just like, okay. There's a lot of people here, you know. They want to get married. So, we'll have a dating line after the service. Ladies on the left hand, guys on the right. No, 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 that's joking, joking. We do have arranged marriages in this church, okay? Just to spread the rumor, go tell the people out there there's amazing rumors going around, you know? Now, that's just a joke. It's just a joke. Don't, don't just take that clip and show it to the rest of the world. Oh, that church, you know? I, I thought maybe it's not a bad idea sometimes because, hey, sure, things need to speed up. But so, lack of... <laughs> <laughs> Some of the ladies at the back said, yes, pastor, yes, I mean, <laughs> that's me, speak it, speak it, he's sitting on the, in that block, but in any case, uh, <laughs> but you know, sometimes we have this expectation of even marriage, and we say like, wow, when I get married, all my problems are going to be solved, no, when you get married, you're going to learn how to love. That's far beyond just emotional. Because the root of love in Scripture is sacrifice. Service. Putting other people's interests above your own. And the world doesn't want to hear that. Most of the church in the West doesn't want to hear that. That God calls you to serve. God calls you to love sacrificially. Sure. So we have a choice. Let's look at some of these pictures I showed you this morning. You even have a choice what church, type of church or what type of doctrine these days you hang on to. But you can be a maternity wound, a nursery. It's chaos. It's, it's like, yo, dear Makar, okay? Next slide. Whoa, you know? It's just like all hands on deck. This is life. There's abundance. Next slide. How did uh, Jason's uh, room... No, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But there's kids in there, and when there's kids, it's chaos, you know? You can be the greatest perfectionist, wait till you get kids one day. (sighs) Hallelujah. Some of them are great, and some of them are greater. (laughs) I remember one... One morning, I was working as an accountant in Somerset West and a financial manager. And so I had to do a big project, like a 10 million rand project, and present it to a lot of CEOs. So I worked for five years after I studied B accounting here at, at university. And so that night, I didn't sleep. We didn't sleep at all. It was just chaos. The kids were crying, and lots of things were happening. And it was just like, so around about 5.30, I didn't wake up because I never went to sleep. So now the next day, I must do this big project. So I'm going to early to the work, 6.30, I'm there in Somerset West. I've got all the papers, and I think, okay, I must print out this one thing. So I go to the toilet, you know, and I go and sit on the toilet just for a moment, but just to relax for a moment. And you know these toilet rolls that are built into the side of the wall? I just go, and I thought, like, let me just lean a little bit because I, I just need to just for a moment have, like, a, just a moment, you know. And there I fell asleep. On the toilet roll thing, you know, and 45 minutes later, five minutes before my big meeting, I woke up with the greatest shock in my life. So I jumped up out of the toilet. I can't remember if I cleaned properly, but hallelujah, I just started to run, okay? 
I looked in the mirror, and I look, when I looked in the mirror, I saw there's this big hole here in the side of my face because of the toilet roll that I was sleeping onto the, the for the 45 minutes. I grabbed the paper, went there, walked into the CEO's office. They were all sitting there, you know, and they were sitting on this side, so I just walked like this, <laughs> sat like this, and just greeted everyone on this side because there's a big red hole, yeah? And then you think, ah, oh, the joy of family. I want to show you a picture. I showed you this morning. This is to me the craziest story, and I want you to watch the mom, okay? So if, once you commit to family and spiritual family, you're going to have a super mom, okay? How many of you have super moms? They just like, wow, it's crazy. Just, just, just respect your mom. But this is this guy. This is his moment to shine, and he's having an interview on the BBC and it is crazy. And it is just the most amazing moment. And then he forgot to lock the door. Okay? And, and so he's live on BBC, and the next thing happens. But watch the mom. Just watch how cool, calm, and collected she does it. And she tries to remove all obstacles in the way of her husband to shine for the world. Okay. Have you got that video? Let's go. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. Pardon me. My apologies. What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months. We, 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 we're going to watch it again because that you must check the first slide of that mom into that room. We're going to just wa- let's just watch it again. It is so much fun, but this is family. Okay, this is what. Okay, let, let's go for it again. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies? It's the daughter's birthday. Uh, and what will it mean for? Uh, for the wider region, I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. Pardon me. My apologies. What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, Sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea. <laughs> Mom, just one action comes in, grabs hold. But you see, that's family and that's relationship. But you know, the world is trying to tell us with our relationship with God and with each other, it's just keep God at a distance. You know that one of the words for intimacy means into me you see. When you become intimate with God, you say, God, you can see right into my heart, all my mistakes, all my brokenness, and let your love shine in me and through me. And there's some people that need healing here tonight. You needed to ask God, God, come and set me free because I struggle to trust. I struggle to surrender. I struggle to to give over. So what we do is sometimes just show the next picture. We rather choose to live in a mortuary. The next one. Everything is cold. 
Everything is clinical. Everything has its place. But everything is dead. And so God invites us to a relationship with him, with a group of other imperfect people, but it's going to be tough. Because we fear, we fear to open up, we fear to trust, because sometimes we've been hurt, sometimes people spoke words over us. And so church cannot just be an event. Church can't be just a bunch of singing. Church is an, a rigorous investment in to love God and to love your neighbor. Sure. Listen to this. Galatians 6 verse 2 to 3. And thank you, Herbie, for being obedient because I didn't tell him to speak about that verse. And this is the final verse for the evening, the same that he spoke about in the offering. Is that coincidence? Is that coincidence? That the guy who does the offering that I didn't speak to uses the same main verse that we're going to end with tonight. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. God invites you to a place of true humility. The world says, think about yourself Put yourself first. Then even in your relationship with God, you say, God, it's all about me. I, me, and myself. The trinity of God. I, me, and myself. And God says, I want you to die so that you can live. John 12, 24 says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce fruit. God wants to produce fruit through your life. God wants you to live an obedient lifestyle. And it's going to cost you something, but it's the most rewarding fulfilling, joyous place to be when suddenly you commit yourself to a bunch of other broken people that realize they are nothing and they are not thinking to be something. In Stellenbosch, there's a lot of status. In Stellenbosch, there's a lot of pride. And it's a stronghold over this town. And God is looking for a group of people that will be humble that will humble themselves and say, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. We are one of the biggest churches in Stellenbosch, but a number and the numbers will never count. It's about how much do you weigh in the spirit? How much do we surrender? How much do we live for Christ? How much is God glorified through your studies tomorrow? How much is God glorified through your life? Don't let your Instagram post be this on Sunday and on Tuesday, something completely different. Because hypocrisy is not nice. I grew up in a very religious home. And I grew up in a space where we spoke about a lot of religious stuff, but we didn't live it. I remember being in high school and at a stage I realized there was a big family commotion but nobody spoke about it. And so I realized like why is all the aunties crying and all the uncles are angry? And then three weeks later my grandfather and grandmother divorced. Nobody spoke about it, it just happened. And so through a process of just bitterness, even a couple of years later I realized that because my grandfather was in adulterous relationships with other people, other ladies. But we're going to hide it. Because we're going to pretend. 
And then so much hurt, so much bitterness comes out of it. And I remember lying on the, or being in the hospital with my grandmother, and I drove all the way. I was working, took off from work. She was in the hospital in Caledon, so we drove there. I went to pray for her. God healed her supernaturally. She stood up next morning out of the hospital. I said to her, Grandma, are you ready to receive Jesus? And she said, no, how can God love me? Because I feel so worthless. And four years later, she was lying in her deathbed again. All the family came to say their goodbyes. She was full of cancer. And I, and I walked into her room and I said, Grandma, today I'm not going to pray for your healing. Today I'm going to pray for your soul. And she couldn't speak a word. So I laid hands on her and I said, Grandma, are you willing to forgive? Because all of your life, there's just been a lot of bitterness. A lot, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. But one moment with Jesus. One moment with Jesus. And then she nodded her head and the tears started running down my eyes. And I said, dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me as I forgive others. Give me a new life. And she nodded her head and the tears ran down her eyes. And I led my grandmother to Jesus and 20 seconds later she closed her eyes and never opened it again I walked out of the room like this the family thought I was traumatized and I'd gone crazy <laughs> they said oh he must see a psychologist you know <laughs> there's problems I said she's in heaven because it's never too late for Christ but see if we keep on having this hurt and this pain then and we're not committed to relationships. We're not committed. And I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, get involved. And then you're going to learn how to love. You're going to need to learn how people love you. And you're going to need to commit to this relationship because that's what God has. He's got a family for you. He's got a moment for you. He wants to like say, hey, sometimes you've prepared for all this. Have you seen that father? Tie is ready. The kefi is ready. The hair is ready. Everything is perfect. You know? And here walks in the kids. He forgot to lock the door. I think 34 million views later. And how many interviews? He's one of the most well-known people now in the world. Because he forgot to lock the door. <laughs> I want to say to you tonight, don't lock the door to Jesus in your heart. The crazy thing about Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, this is the last scripture, he says... I stand at the door and I knock and I want to come in. It's one of the seven letters to the seven churches in the end times. I always thought it was for unbelievers. It was for people that didn't know God. God is standing at the door, standing outside, and he's knocking. I want to come in. He's not talking to unbelievers. Because he's writing that letter to a church. He says, why, church people, are you keeping me outside of the door of your life? Why are you only allowing me there to be on Sunday? But the beautiful part of that scripture says, I want to come and sit with you. And I want you to eat with me. And I'm going to eat with you. 
We're going to have a meal together. We're going to learn how to have family. You're going to learn what intimacy is and how to surrender to God. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.